0: Today we talk about greed and before you think of someone else I want you to hear how we define greed and what the Bible says about greed and how it may just be hiding in your heart. welcome to awaken to grace today we're talking about greed we're in a great series called emotions that destroy and you know before studying for this sermon I didn't realize how much I struggle with greed I thought people who struggled with greed or at least people who were vulnerable with greed were those who were wealthy and had a lot of money I didn't realize that um, people like myself can struggle with it as well well I hope that you find yourself in the scriptures that we share today and that the Word of God would have great transformation upon your heart and in your life as it is mine. while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 13, the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today is I want you to write this down. Greed disguises itself. That's the trouble with greed. It disguises itself. It masks itself. If we're going to Guys, I can hear a little talking over here, if you can help me out. It's distracting me just a bit. If we are going to take the mask off of greed, if we're going to take the disguise off of greed, you and I are going to have to have the Word of God to do it. Now, if you're like me, and let's just be real today, that's one reason why I'm sitting down. ...in my chair today is because I want to have a conversation with you. If you're like me today, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself greedy. And let me tell you why I would not consider myself greedy. is because in my estimation, I don't have enough money to be greedy. When I think about greedy people... I think about people who have enormous amounts of money and they'll do everything they can to protect it. In my view, I don't have enough to be greedy. But do you know what I'm learning in my study of this topic of greed? I'm learning that money has nothing to do with greed. Or at least the amount of money. It doesn't matter how much a person has and it doesn't matter how little a person has. You can be consumed with greed. You can allow greed to reside in your heart. People who are very, very poor can be greedy. And people who are very, very rich can be greedy. It's not a matter of how much somebody has. It's not how much stuff or how many assets or how much cash they have that somebody is greedy. So if you're like me... Previously, I've pictured really wealthy people that they're the ones who are susceptible to greed. They're the ones who are vulnerable. They're the ones who can be potentially in danger of it, but not somebody like me. Not true. So today, as we go through the Word of God, I want you to be careful that you don't think about other people. You know, greed is one of the hardest things to self-diagnose. You know that? Because, again, you feel anger, but you don't always feel greed. So today, if it's okay with you, and I'm going to ask your permission, like going to see a doctor, is it okay if I poke and prod on you a little bit? (laughs) You laughed nervously. I need your permission. Is it okay if I poke around a little bit and see what's there? I've taken the word of God and I've evaluated my own heart. And I'll be honest with you. I've not liked what I found. And I want to change a lot of that. So let's run some tests on ourselves today. And let's see. I don't want to diagnose greed in others because that's none of my business. I want to detect it in me. I want to diagnose it in me. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 5. As a matter of fact, let's begin just a little bit beyond that because I want to show you a link that I found fascinating this week. The author of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews uh, to my remembrance. I believe it's the only book of the Bible that we don't know the author. People tend to think that the apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, which could be incredibly true. But we don't know its author. But that doesn't matter. We don't need to know the person who authored it. We know who authored the word of God. And that's the Holy Spirit of God. Right? For all scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And it's profitable for us. So when I refer to this section of scripture. You'll hear me say the writer or the author of Hebrews. And that's because we don't technically know who the person was. Although we know truly it was the Holy Spirit. So the author of Hebrews is going to say something that in my estimation is fascinating. He's going to talk about marriage for a moment. And he's going to write and he's going to say, let the marriage bed be kept honorable and undefiled. Let the marriage bed be honorable and kept undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral. Is that not a message our society needs to hear today? For God will judge the sexually immoral. So the Bible says, those of you who are married, as well as those who are not married, God will judge the sexually immoral. But to married families, the Bible says, keep your marriage bed honorable and keep it undefiled. Keep it in the grace of God. Keep it holy. Keep it pure. Keep it righteous. Keep it God-centered. Keep it pleasing to the Lord. Now, if I were the author of Hebrews, I think I would have said something else along marriage there. I would have said, "Keep the marriage bed uh, undefiled and, and, and keep it holy and, and God will judge the sexually immoral. And then I would go on and say something like this. I would have said, like, "Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another." Serve one another, be respectful to one another, be affectionate to one another, communicate for crying out loud with one another. I would have said something like that. But do you know what God said? Look at verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Oh, what instruction that is. You know, uh, many Christians are surprised when they learn that the Bible references faith about 500 times. The Bible references heaven about 500 times. The Bible references hell about 500 times. And shockingly enough, it is money and it is possessions that the Bible mentions more than 2,300 times. More than faith, more than heaven, more than hell combined. The Bible talks about money and possessions more than those three massive topics combined. Why? Because Jesus knew that it's one of the greatest struggles of our life. When I meet with marriages in the counseling office, so often, inevitably, we we always come back to one issue among many issues, and communication, and 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 uh, you know, there's just there's a hundred issues. But one of the issues that we typically come into is money, and how do you manage it, and how do you spend it, and how do you save it, and Opposites attract and one feels this way and the other feels that way. And I always encourage couples, don't go by how you were raised. Don't go by what you saw. Don't go by how you feel. Go by the word of God. Learn the principles of money. Learn the principles of managing your resources. Learn those principles out of the Bible. And then you know it's going to be solid and that's something both can agree on. And why is it that the author of Hebrews says, keep your marriage bed honorable, keep your marriage honorable and undefiled, and then he makes a direct link, the very next link, he says, and keep your life free from money. Because Jesus knows one of the hardest parts of marriage is how we handle our resources. Oh, but I'm not preaching to nobody on that, am I? That's for somebody else. How do you handle your resources? How do you keep your life free from the love of money? I want you to write something down today. I want you to write a couple of things down. I want you to write this down. Greedy people love money. They love it. Greedy people love stuff. Greedy people don't share. Greedy people control. This is what I really want you to write down. Greedy people are afraid. Now watch the logic of the text. If you follow the logic very closely, if you read it very slowly, watch what the author does. Keep your marriage bed honorable and undefiled. Keep your life free from the love of money. Okay, how do I do that? I mean, in my heart, I don't want to love money and I don't want to love stuff, but is anybody else like me? Do you have to have money? Does your power bill pay itself? Do you fill up your gas in your car on your looks? <laughs> I highly doubt it. <laughs> Zig Ziglar said it so well money's like oxygen, it's not everything. But you got to have it to live. Is that right or wrong? So if we have to have money and we have to have that to survive, and God knows that, then how in the world do we follow this command, keep your life free from the love of money? I think what Scripture is saying is don't be dominated by it. Don't be controlled by it. Don't be guided by it. Don't let it consume your thinking. Don't let it express who you are. Don't let it put value upon your life, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Don't let it determine you. Don't let it value you. Don't let it speak into your life. Keep your life free from the love of it. John Wesley was asked, Every time the man got money, he gave it away. And John Wesley was asked, why do you give money away as soon as you get it? You know what he said? Lest it take root in my heart. That's good. Are we to save for the future? I think so. Are we to prepare for tomorrow? I definitely think so. So where's the line drawn between having a love of money and allowing greed to reside in our heart and following the biblical command, keep your life free from the love of money. How, how is that done? Sorry. Go, go the next phrase with me. Now, see, this is why people come up to me and they'll say, Chad, how is the best way to study the Bible? And I always say phrase for phrase. Read a line and think on it, and then read the next line. Read the scripture and then ponder it for a while, and then read the next. And what you'll find is scripture builds upon the other. It just builds and builds. The Bible calls it line upon line, precept upon precept. So watch what he says. If I'm to keep my life free from the love of money, then how do I do that? And he tells us, be content with what you have. Be satisfied with what the Lord has given you. Oh, what a message we need right now. Because how hard are marketers and advertisers and how hard are stores and and retail and, and the whole holiday season? How hard are they vying for your attention right now? How hard are they trying to get you to say, I'm not going to be happy unless I have that. My life is not complete unless I get that. I'm not going to feel good unless I purchase this. My friend, that's such a lie. That's such a lie. And the Bible says if you want to keep your life free from the love of money, then here's the answer. Be content with what you have. And how many of us can truly say, I'm content today. I'm content with what the Lord has given me. I'm content with what he's blessed me with. I'm content with what the Lord has placed in my hands. I am content. Are you content? See, for many years I've wrestled with contentment and ambition. I love to feel ambition. I love to go for the next step. I love to plan something and see it be successful. I love to grow from this phase to that phase. I love to be reaching forward. I hate to look back. I hate to feel stuck. I always want to be going forward. But can you be content and always go forward? Can you be content and feel that way? Well, let me tell you what I'm learning in my life. My ambition is not to be toward my gain. My ambition is not to be toward what I can accomplish. My ambition is not to be toward what I can store or what I can house or what I can fill my life with. My ambition is, be, is to be toward God's kingdom. My ambition is to be to the glory of God, not to the glory of Chad. And when my ambition is set toward the kingdom of God, and I follow Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all the things that I need in life, they are going to be added to me. Then my ambition is not in what I can hold, and what I can gain, and what I can collect, and what I can hold dear. No, my ambition is in God's glory. And then God gives me what I need. And then I can be content. If I gain, I'm content. And if I lose, I'm content. If I lose eyesight, I can be content. Contentment. Are you content with what you have? I'm not asking you to choose ambition over contentment. I'm saying put your ambition in the right place. Be ambitious about the glory of God. Be ambitious about the kingdom of God. Be ambitious about doing God's will for your life today, in this life. And then let all the stuff fall where it may. And whether you gain or whether you lose, whether you accomplish or whether you fail, Ultimately, it doesn't matter because your joy is all wrapped up in Jesus. Amen? So keep your life free from the love of money. And then what does he say? Be content with what you have. Why? Why should I be content with what I have? You ready to learn right now? Because, Bob, I don't make this stuff up. It's right here in the word of God. All we're doing is just reading it. Well, you're reading it. I'm listening to it. But Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because look what Jesus says. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. What a statement. Now let me teach you something. Let me teach you what I'm learning. Let me teach you what I did not know about greed. Greed has nothing to do with materialism. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with a, a small amount or a great amount or somewhere in between. Let me tell you what greed has to do with. And I want you to write this down. Fear. Greed has to do with fear. See, the greedy person... What a greedy heart really says, and, and, and let, me, let me just understand this. Greed will mask itself. Greed will say, I'm responsible. Greed will say, I plan ahead. Greed will say, I store for the future. Greed says, I look out for my interests. Because who else will? Greed can mask itself as being responsible, as doing the right thing, as planning ahead. Greed masks itself as being careful and being cautious. Now again, I'm sitting in a chair today because for me this is a very complicated subject. As Christians, are we to not look at... Look ahead? Are we to not plan ahead? Are we to say, well, I'll just live for the day and whatever will be, will be. God will take care of me. It's fine. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Isn't that what Jesus said? So am I just to live for the day and not think more than 10 minutes ahead of the future? I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. People who believe that they shouldn't live for the future, I think think they're out of balance. The Bible would say, sluggard, learn from the ant, the ant puts back. There's something, there's a principle there to be learned. I don't think that the Bible expects us to only live for the day. Someone someone very wise put it this way, we should live like we're going to die tonight. We should prepare like we're going to live another hundred years. It's a great statement. But see, here's where greed gets confusing. Here's where greed tends to hide in the heart. Here's where greed will mask itself. Whereas the Bible doesn't want us to be that person that says, oh, God will take care of me today and I'll give no thought toward tomorrow and I won't invest, I won't put back, I won't prepare. I won't be wise. I don't think the Bible in it. See, that's why the Bible says we have to rightly handle, we have to rightly divide the word of truth. You have to rightly handle the entirety of the word of God. And while the Bible does teach us not to be anxious because the Bible knows our daily need, while the Bible does teach us give us this Day, our daily bread, while the Bible does teach us don't worry and be consumed with doubt and fear and anxiety about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Yes, there's an element of truth to that, but there's also an element of truth. Be smart and don't just live for today. There's an ele- there's, you rightly handle the word. But then, now see, this is where greed is masked. On one side of the ditch, you have those who they don't don't live for tomorrow at all. They only live for the next 10 minutes. But then in the other side of the ditch, you have those who, hmm, they're the ones who says, I'm careful. I'm planning. I'm responsible. I'm doing the right thing. Therefore, I'm going to protect my interests. That can be a mask, my friends, and I'm going to show you how. So Hebrews, before we turn over to Luke 12, let's wrap up this part in Hebrews. Hebrews says, keep the marriage bed honorable and undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral. Keep your life free from the love of money. How? Well, be content with what you have. Why should you be content with what you have? Because Jesus is never going to leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, what then shall I fear what man can do to me? Greedy people are afraid that God isn't going to do what God says. Greedy people fear that God is going to let them down. Greedy people fear that, God's no, that God will leave them or forsake them. Greedy people feel as though God doesn't have their interest in mind and What if God does? What if God doesn't? Do you know what fuels greed? The what ifs of life. Well, what if this goes wrong? What if the economy fails? What if my health fails? What if I lose my investments? What if I lose this? What if if I am generous and I lose out? What if I get burned? What if that doesn't work out? The what ifs of life fuel our greed. And the Bible says, don't worry about the what ifs. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? And that is why we should not allow greed inside of our hearts. It competes with the glory of God. So if I keep my life free from the love of money, I'm content with the things that I have, I know God will never leave me nor forsake me, then what is there to fear what man can do to me? What is there to fear what I can gain or lose, accomplish or fail? What is there to fear if God is with me and is never going to forsake me? Now go to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is going to say something in verse 15 that is shocking. At least it's shocking to me. Jesus says, be on guard. Be aware. Be on guard and take care. Be on guard against all greed or covetousness. Now think about that. Jesus said, take care uh, be on guard. Take care against all covetousness, any area of greed. And then look what he says. <clears throat> For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. <whistles> For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, Oh, how our society needs to hear this message from Jesus. Your life isn't what you own or what you lose. Your life is not the sum total of your net worth. Your life is not your income or your savings or your nest egg or your retirement. Your life is... It's not those things. No more than the church is this building. If a tornado came through and leveled our facility, would the church still remain? Absolutely. Because the church is not this building. The church is us. Your stuff is not you. Your life does not, and listen, I can feel the Holy Spirit instructing me right now. There are some of you, I feel this so strong in my heart right now, and I'm going to obey the Holy Spirit. There are some of you that are at the point of depression because you can't buy your kids what they want this Christmas. Let me tell you, your life and their life and your value as a parent does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And you would do well to teach your children that. Teach your kids that. Our life is not our stuff. And don't you dare let them see you depressed this Christmas because you can't give them what they want. What a trap. What a trap. Say, no, this Christmas, we're going to keep our lives free from the love of money. And we're going to be content with what we have. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. I feel the Holy Spirit on that. Now I wish I had my pulpit. (laughs) I I shouldn't have sat down. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now Jesus is going to tell a story. He's going to tell a parable. What's a parable? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly picture that reveals a heavenly truth. And Jesus is going to tell a story. And listen to what Jesus says, and we'll draw a few principles out of this, and then I'll finish. Jesus says that there was a very rich man who was a landowner. He's a farmer. And this landowner, even though he was already rich, yielded an enormous crop. He was surprised at the abundance that he had. And the Bible shows us the conversation this man had with himself. This man said to himself, Self, what am I going to do with all my extra stuff? And after thinking about it, this is what he decided to do. I don't have enough storage to store my abundance, so here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And then he said... I'll say to my soul, you've stored up grain for years to come. And I'll say to my soul, soul, relax. Eat, drink, be merry. One author said it this way, and I love it. This man suffered from BBS, Bigger Barn Syndrome. Many Americans, many Christians, many of us sitting in this room, many of us watching online, we suffer from BBS, Bigger Barn Syndrome. What are the fatal flaws that this man made? Well, like many in our society, this man never once acknowledged God as the source Of all of his gain. Never one time did he acknowledge. Now think of the foolishness of this. Is a farmer in control of his blessings? Not at all. If God doesn't give the rain, how will he yield a crop? Never one time did he say, God has blessed me with abundance. Never one time did he acknowledge the extra in my life. Forget the, the, you know, what I need. I'm talking the extra. Not only has God given me my need, my daily need, God's given me far more. And never one time did he acknowledge God behind it. So here's the trap. Here's what happened. This man convinced himself that he earned it. He earned it. My friends, the Bible teaches that you and I ought to work hard. I don't care what your position is right now, whether you own your own business, if you work for a company or you work for a local business, or if you uh, are a stay-at-home mom, I don't care, if even if you're on disability, I don't care how, you, how your income is earned and how you're... Income is brought in. God expects you to contribute to society and to the kingdom of God. And it don't matter how, you, if, you're, if you're retired and your income is, is social security and other investment, it don't matter. Whatever, however your income comes in, there's an expectation from God out of you. You ought to be Productive. And when I say productive, I mean the same as in that area of ambition. You ought to be producing something for the glory of God. God has not brought you where you are in life for you to sit around and waste your life on television. God hasn't done that. You are to be producing something to the glory of God. Before losing eyesight, I thought I did pretty well. In the area of not wasting my life. And I realized just how much time I wasted. Oh my goodness. In the last year I've read 52 books. And a minister friend of mine he said. Chad how in the world do you find time to do that? I said well when you cut out Facebook. And you cut out Twitter. And you cut out sports. And you cut out TV. You all of a sudden have a lot of time. <laughs> And I'll be honest with you, if the scales fell from my eyes and my eyes opened today, I would to God that I would never go back to the social media and the television and the movies and all that the time I gave to my, in my life to those things. I would to God that I wouldn't go back. I'm so much happier without those things in my life. So, well, that was a rabbit trail. What am I talking? Oh, oh, BBS, Bigger barn Syndrome. Sorry. I shouldn't have taken my pulpit out today. Um, uh, (laughs) I sit down and I go off on rabbit trails. All right. Let's get back on on track. The fatal flaw is this man believed he earned it. Friends, you and I don't earn anything apart from the grace of God. Do you acknowledge God in what you earn? Do you acknowledge God in your income and the blessings and the resources? You say, Chad, I have have no margin in my life. That's not what I'm asking. Do you acknowledge God with what you have? Are you content with what you have? The greatest way to acknowledge God and what you have is to be content with it. So, number one, he earned it. Number two, because he believed that he solely earned it and that God had nothing to do with it. Number two, he believed he deserved it. Oh, my friends, don't fall into this trap. Don't fall into believing that you deserve better or you deserve more. You know what the scary thing is with money and possessions? And maybe you've never seen it this way. More is never enough. Do you know why? Because money and possessions is like an appetite. What our physical appetite is with food, money and possessions are the same. It doesn't matter. Tonight, if I go to dinner... And if I go spend $50 on one meal for myself and I eat that $50 meal, am I going to be hungry the next day? As opposed to if I spent $10 on a meal? It doesn't matter. The fact is, no matter how little or how much I spend on a meal, I'm going to be hungry the next four or six hours. In my case, hour and a half. It doesn't matter because I have an appetite. And because we have an appetite, no matter what we consume and how much we feel, and as a matter of fact, you know this, the more we consume and the more we feel, the more robust our appetite grows, right? Consumerism is the same way. Materialism is the same way. The more you get... The more you save, the more you spend, the more you consume, the bigger the appetite grows. And it never goes away. You'll never come to a place... Oh, sorry. We'll have to edit that out of the sermon. You'll never come to a place where you just magically become content. Because it's an appetite. And so if you have the faulty thinking of, I... Earned this. Therefore, I deserve this. You're on the track of BBS, Bigger Barn Syndrome. Because he thought he deserved it, came the third fatal flaw. Therefore, he stored it. He stored it. He thought he earned it. He thought he deserved it. And he thought he could store it. Now listen how God responds to him. After he meets with the contractor of the bigger barn company. And he makes his plans and he draws his blueprints. Then God responds to him. And listen to what he says. You fool. Tonight your soul is required. He had more stuff than he had time. He had more stuff than he had time. Now watch what happens. God says, tonight your soul will be required. And then God asked him a question that I want to ask you today. Then whose stuff? He said, all that you have produced, all that you've gained. Then whose will it be? There's two questions in this text, and I want to address both of them right here. The first question, and I I missed this, and let me just back up for a moment because it's a very important point. Because this man earned it, because he thought he deserved it, and because he stored it, there was a question that he failed to ask himself that you and I failed to ask ourselves. And therefore, greed goes undetected in our heart. Greed goes unnoticed. Here's what he didn't ask himself. Why? Why do I have all that I have? Why has God given me extra? Now listen, don't think of wealthy people. Don't think of people who have way more than you. Think of yourself. Why has God given you extra? Why has God given me extra? Why do we have more clothes than what we wear? Why do we have more living space than what we actually live in? Why do we have cars that we don't drive? Why do we have more food than we can eat? Why do some of us accumulate more money than what we'll ever spend? Let me give you the Bible answer. Greed. If you're like me, it's there. It's there, and I want it out. So the first question this man never asked is, why? Why has God given me extra? What are you responsible with? What's God put in your hands that you are responsible with? See, here's the difference. Here's what we see in this text. When God asked him, the God question, (laughs) when you die, then whose stuff will it be? This is the difference. Do you see your life as an owner, or do you see yourself as a manager? See, I have a very close friend who is my financial advisor, and we're very close friends, and we get together on occasion, and We'll discuss my finances, which only takes like three minutes, and then we talk sports. But anyways, <clears throat> we'll get together and but but listen, I, I send in something for for my retirement and uh, uh, whatever that's called, IRA. I send my financial advisor I send him a monthly check for that. What if my financial advisor said? You know, I didn't talk to Chad this month and I don't really know what he wants me to do and I've been wanting that new set of tires. I think I'll go get that for me. With my money. Would he be a good financial advisor? Why? Because the guy who manages that for me, it's not his. That's mine. I give it to him so that he can manage it. Do you see the resources of your life like that? It's not yours. When you receive your income, it's not for you to do whatever you want. God has expectations. God says, give me the first fruits. Why? Because you know what Jesus knows about me? And do you know what Jesus knows about you? We'll fund our kingdom before we fund his kingdom. And Jesus says, you want to live a life of freedom? You want to live a life of blessing? Reverse it. Seek first my kingdom, and then I'll give you everything that you need. Are you an owner today? Do you own everything in your life, or are you a manager? Are you a steward? And see, when we understand the story of this rich fool, we understand what we truly are, our stewards. Because the things that you love, I mean the things that you just could never part with, whose will they be when you die? Let me tell you, friends, it will either be sold (laughs) or it's going to be given away. But either way, you don't own it. And I don't own it. And then Jesus ends with a stern but yet an encouraging statement. This man failed because he was not rich toward God. So let me ask you, in all of your getting, the reason you go to work, the reason you save, the reason you put back, the reason that you acquire, the reason why you build whatever it is in life that you're building, ultimately, are you rich toward God? Or is greed masking itself? Is greed hiding in your heart? Take the light of God's Word and shine it right in your heart and say, God, show me where greed is. Let me tell you what I've learned in this study. For me, the line drawn is fear. I can, take, I can take what I want to give to the Lord, be it my first fruit tithes. Let me tell you something, if I took my tithe and just sent it into my retirement, I'd, it'd be a whole lot better. But would it? Would it be better eternally? Would it be better for the long run? Absolutely not. I want to be rich toward God. But you know what? Even, even many of you, many of you have helped me with Awaken to Grace. And let me tell you, I, tried, I just tried to hit the ball down the field. Through your generosity and through your help, we hit a grand slam out of the stadium And God has helped us so much with Awaken to Grace. And do you know we tithe out of Awaken to Grace. And we'll sit there and say, Who is spreading the gospel in such a way that God would be glorified if we took what we raised and gave a portion of it toward another kingdom work? Why? Because we want to be rich toward God. Are you rich toward God today? And let me tell you what I'm learning and what I feel that God wants me to give and wants me to contribute, whether that's money or time or other resources or skills or knowledge or whatever the case, whatever it is that God wants me to give and do, here's where the line is drawn for me. If I don't do it out of fear, that's my number one indicator. That's greed working in my life. That's greed. If I'm afraid, I'll lose. If I'm afraid, well, if I, if I give that, how will I get it back? That's greed. Well, if I give that, then what if God doesn't pay this? Friends, that's fear and greed. If I give this, what if God lets me down? He won't. He'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And like anger, like we spoke last week, the only way to combat anger is to replace it with forgiveness. The only way to replace greed is with generosity. That's the only way to do it. So today, examine your heart. Ask the Lord, is there greed that I don't see? Don't think about rich people. Think about you. And say, are there areas of my life that unknowingly I'm building bigger barns? Unknowingly, I'm not acknowledging the Lord. Unknowingly, I feel like I deserve this. Unknowingly, I'm not content. But today, God has shined the light of his word into my heart. Amen? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm so serious about this. I don't want to take my cell phone flashlight. I want to take one of those big redneck deer hunting uh, lamps that they put on trucks. You know what I'm talking about? They're like that big and they can light up 500 yards. I want to shine that thing in my heart and say, where is greed? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. If you want to find greed, find a Fear. Where are you afraid that God's gonna let you down? Where are you afraid that if you do this, God won't supply that? Friends, that's greed hiding itself. Are you a saver to the point you're not a giver? That's greed. Are you a planner? Are you cautious? Are you careful to the point you don't obey God? Friends, that's greed. Are you not a tither today, friends? That's greed. That's greed. Lord, unmask it in our lives. Some people are sitting here today, God, and they have got knowledge and they've got skills that they could give to the glory of God and the kingdom of God but they keep it all to themselves that's greed help us God help us today help me Lord help me we live in a society that values what we have what we earn what we deserve God I don't want to be guilty of that I don't deserve anything. What you give me is your grace, and I want to be thankful for that. And I want to share that with others. And God, the resources you have given me, the money you've given me, the knowledge you've given me, the skills, the abilities, the time, I want to give, I want to share. Greedy people don't share. Greedy people don't share because they don't think others deserve it. No, God, we want to share today. So will you take the areas of greed and will you replace it? Help me, you won't do it, I have to do it. Help me replace it with generosity for you love a cheerful giver. Today with your eyes bowed and your Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Do you need to get greed out of your heart? Every Sunday we do an altar call. We invite people to the altars. Let me just invite you. If there's greed, hiding, masking. Do what I'm trying to do this week. Put God's light on it. And say, God, I don't want it. If you need to come and pray, maybe you need to lay some things down at the altar. Maybe there's some things about you that you say, God, it's time to change, and I'm going to invite you to change it today. You come right now. You just slip right out of your seat, and you come and lay it at the altar. Maybe God's been dealing with you about some areas of your life that you've not been generous in. You've just held back. Maybe there's relationships where you've held back. Maybe there's uh, an investment in a coworker or a friend where you've held back. You've kept people at an arm's length and you've just held back. Come today, ask the Lord to help you get it out of your heart. And as I said earlier, it's not enough to pray and say, "God, Would you take greed out of my heart? Friends, this is something that we have to act on. This is something we have to obey God's word on. Notice it didn't say, pray that God will keep your life free from the love of money. No, it was a direct command. You keep your life free from the love of money. Maybe you need to come and pray about Christmas. Maybe some of you are way overspending for Christmas. And you've chosen to use artificial money to create artificial pressure in your life because you feel the pressure. Maybe you're in a family where you feel the pressure to buy what you really have no business buying. Maybe you feel the pressure with your kids or you feel the pressure with their friends or neighbors. Friends, don't fall into that trap. Humble yourself today. And say, you know what, this Christmas, we're going to be content. That's the greatest gift you can give your kids. Let's be content with what God has given us. I'm not saying don't give them anything. Don't go home and say, Pastor Chad says, you're not getting nothing but contentment. I'm not saying that. But listen, don't dishonor God. Don't teach your children this society when the Bible says in direct contrast keep your life free from the love of money be content with what you have take care and be on guard against all greediness because our lives and our families do not consist glory to God in the abundance of our possessions our worth is in Jesus Not in what we own. And not in debt. Be content, my friends. Be content. Oh, God, teach us contentment. Teach me contentment. Don't let the world reach into my heart and steal contentment. Don't let this consumer-driven society Still joy and peace out of my family. Don't, no, 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 absolutely not. Let us be the people of God, grateful, happy, joyful, content, and when we Recognize greed in our heart, Lord, like that spider web of last week. Let us get rid of it, get it off of us. Because when we look at you, who's such a generous, grace giving God, oh, greed has no place in us, no place, no. And we're not going to fear our future, we're not going to fear retirement, we're not going to fear our old age. We're not going to fear running out of money. We're not going to fear that you're not going to take care of us. We're going to be wise. We're going to do what we know to do. We're going to be balanced. We're going to be we're going to we're going to have the counsel and the wisdom of God, but we're not going to be afraid that you're going to let us down. And greed will no longer reside in us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said.